For November 9th, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 645. Wings, Dawn, Sun, Hand. This is Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are sitting down together, uh, perhaps enjoying an adult beverage and wondering, WTF just happened? I don't know. It was a uh, it was a pretty uneventful week, so I'm not sure we have material enough to make an episode this week. But we're here as we've been these past 11 years, 12 years now. So uh, we're, we're going to muddle through somehow. I'm your muddler in chief, muddling the mint in my cocktail right now. I'm Matt Rather. I am joined by uh, Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. And Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. Hello, Matthew. Okay. Well, uh, did anything uh, worth talking about happen this week, guys? Did anything uh, worth noticing, um, you know, uh, transpire this week? Yes. Oh, did. yeah? Oh, okay, yes. good. Well, then let's, uh, let's dive right in then. Yeah. So I'll tell you, this, I saw this thing and it was great, right? So Alex Caruso, who is uh-huh. the backup point guard... I think for the Los Angeles Lakers gave a great interview with the ringer where he talked about the experience of playing beneath LeBron James, like sort of on LeBron James's team, but maybe not like privileged enough to ride in his bus or whatever. Right. Like, like definitely a world apart. Right. And it's similar to the very excellent uh, interview that was done um, by his, by one of his teammates who was much more of a sort of veteran insider, but this is a guy who's like 26 years old and is kind of new to all of this world. And he and he told a great story, which I felt like really, to me, spoke to a lot of what was going on this week, which was that there was a time when the Lakers, and again, everybody who's listening to the podcast should now be totally conversant in American uh, national basketball because we've podcasted about it extensively at this right. point. And also because with regards to Philadelphia, everybody has learned to trust the process. It's, it's, pretty, much, it's pretty much the sole topic of this podcast at this point. I mean, we're, 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 yeah, exactly. It's, it's over, over spinning it on our fingers. The uh, Harlem Globetrotter podcast, right? Um, it's uh, over, overdoing it, shooting 40 footers for, uh, for fun and profit. So Alex Caruso talked, told a story of when the team was going to a road game in Chicago and, you know, Chicago was pretty bad at the time and everybody was pretty tired and they found themselves like going into the third quarter, fourth quarter down like 20 points, Right. And it was kind of depressing, but it wasn't really a must-win situation. They had a pretty, really good record at the time. So the team put in the bench guys. And the bench guys managed to hold out and kind of shrink and cut down and chisel away at the Bulls' lead until the bench guys got the game, like, within five points or so at one point. And at that point, the bench guys left. And, you know, LeBron James, Anthony Davis and the stars of the Lakers come back out and then they close it out and they win the game. And he says that that was when he felt like he earned LeBron James's respect, not by winning. Right. Not not by some sort of great game winning shot, not by some sort of heroic block, but by going out on the court for in a really bad game that nobody felt it could be won or maybe even was worth winning. Right. And just grinded it out until it got within striking distance until, you know, the Thunderbolts could come in and finish the job. Right. 
and, and that since then, that that experience was part of what made the Lakers successful in the playoffs this year because they had a bench that, while not anywhere near the same level as their star players, were, were people that they could rely on and trust personally. Mm. Um, and I felt like there was something about that experience that spoke uh, to, to some of the other events, perhaps, that happened this week. So I won't belabor the point about basketball other than just to point out Joel Embiid's uh, uh, trust the process jokes uh, continue to be hilarious in every circumstance <laughs> involving Pennsylvania. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but I will put that out there as one of the first things. I don't know, Mark, did something happen to you this week that you, you really liked or that didn't like or, or or struck you in some way? Oh, it's major breaking news, right, that uh, Star Wars Squadrons the new space combat game from LucasArts released a major update to fix issues with balance in Ooh. the game. Was the balance of the force out of balance, Mark? Uh, type bombers mainly that they're too powerful. Oh. Um, and, and then other various, you know, technical fixes uh, to uh, a platform, which many people use and um, depend on for their enjoyment. So, um, you know, and that hopefully will lead to some improvement. In people's lives, uh, they think. Do people know where we're getting at here? Do we need to keep extending this bit? Well, yeah. I, well, I just wanted to say that that Whitney Houston has been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and mm. uh, though you know, th- though you might not think, if you were to list your favorite rock and rollers, right, and were to have some sort of contest where they all you know i don't know uh compared their their bona fides bona fides you know to uh be the the top rock and roller right whitney houston might not uh be be your first pick because i you know i I don't think rock and roll when I, i i mean i think you know incredible talent i think sort of superstar but uh they're uh you know but i don't think hey whitney houston is rock and roll no r&b sure maybe like pop definitely you know but uh but you know what if 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 we have to induct someone into the rock and roll hall of fame Right. There are a bunch of bad choices and Whitney Houston is not a bad choice to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And like, I'm, I'm glad to see her, you know, I'm glad to see her there. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, uh, a, a long overdue. She's, uh, you know, she's left us, but she's still in our hearts and, uh, Whitney Houston in, in the Rock and Roll. I, I was so like, I cried this week really to, to, to hear that. I will say this about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I do kind of wonder why everybody ascribes entry into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as like this big thing. I'm never going to go there. I don't know what it is. It's like a museum, right? It's like a random museum out somewhere far it's away. It's the most amazing hard rock cafe you could possibly <laughs> see. If it, were, if it were the Hard Rock Cafe Hall of Fame, maybe maybe it's something I would have encountered more often. Well, here's what I'm saying: is that when somebody gets inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think it tells you a lot more about who the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame chooses than it does about the person that they choose. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, like, what do I know now about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that they picked Whitney Houston to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, yeah, I guess I I guess what what uh, what they're saying is that they're really thinking about appealing to maybe a different demographic than than the Eagles. Right. Right. Or, you know, yeah. Like like similarly. Right. Another big event this week. Johnny Depp forced away was what the early headlines said. And then they were softened to say that he left of his own accord. Uh, Perhaps he had he was still uh, sufficiently sober to walk out of the room without assistance. Um, But uh, but he left the Fantastic Beasts somewhere to find them franchise. Right. 
And and that tells you something about the Fantastic Beasts of Where to Find. I mean, I don't know. Is it that? Is it a sense of accountability? Is it a sense of of self identification? Is it like, well, we want to be associated with Whitney Houston. We don't want to be associated with Johnny Depp, right? It's like, well, they've both done good and bad things in their lives. Well, yeah, but you know, the specific good and bad things that they've done matter, right? Uh, to how we want to be seen. And and uh, well, well, neither Whitney Houston nor Don Johnny Depp are perfect. There's certainly no equivalence between the two of them in in any particular respect, except for eye makeup. Like that's the only one. Uh, <laughs> in which case, they're both pretty good at it, yeah. but like not the best. Well, no, I, de- <laughs> I, I definitely I, I hear what you're saying, Pete, in terms of like you know uh, who I I. I, there is sort of a thing in Hollywood there has been over the last couple of years where like sort of career death is the one pu- punishment for any kind of transgression. And that's probably too, that's probably too, um, you know, uh, uh, broad a sword too coarse an instrument to like decide, you know, when, when people do things that are, that are sort of less than admirable, like what, what we should do about it, you know, cause we've had some, some, truly my inhumanly monstrous behavior and and for those people their careers are over and they're in jail so that that is as it should be my my point is that we uh we can choose um you know we can pick in a way what we put our energy into we can pick who you know we want to to represent us in our rock and roll hall of fame you know in our own personal rock and roll hall of fame right like uh it's like um it's like you go into a sort of a private room where you have your own personal rock and roll hall of fame and you can pick the people in your hall of fame I mean- you know, and then and well, well, that well, that's well, that's relevant. I would also like to point out, for example, another big thing that happened this week is that BTS won big at the 2020 MTV Europe Music Awards, mm. right? In a big virtual event, and so okay, great, BTS won this recognition, but this decision was made far away from where I live. Certainly, if the MTV Music Awards were doing an event like in my neighborhood with the people that I know and and am closely associated with on a day-to-day basis, I mean, BTS would sweep all the awards all the time, right? But, <laughs> but the fact, but what, but does it matter to me right now that MTV Europe, right, which yeah. is far away from me and perhaps lives a very different sort of life, has a very different sort of Overton window, do they choose to give the award to BTS or not? And in that sense, how invested am I in BTS winning those awards, right? If I hear the BTS, oh, that won the Europe Music Awards, right? Yeah, a whole well, bunch of them. It's true, Pete. It's 100% true. Uh, you're right that, like, we're right to question why the MTV Europe Video Music Awards are set up in the way that they're set up, right? Because Europe was sort of once a kind of globally dominant, you know, imperial power, but now they are like a, I mean, for, forgive me, uh, our, our European listeners, and I know we have them. I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, whether I like you or not. I'm not talking about whether your, uh, countries and your, your heritages are sort of worth a damn or not. Of course they are, but, but, but it's not the it, it's well, what, not what a Stanley Fish temporal reading that is. <laughs> <laughs> but the the um, I'm flying by the seat of my pants here. I'm, I'm really like we're dragging this bit really out. But what what I'm saying is that you know Europe isn't the imperial power. It isn't the kind of the the global center. You know 
of uh, of political might, um, right? That that but, but like, regardless it, of your opinion that of how they live it, and their influence, yeah. does it? It should they get to pick whether they like BTS or that's, not? That's exactly what I'm yes. saying, Pete. And should their choice should should the choice of a few Europeans, far fewer Europeans than there are Americans, right? Like uh, who may or may not pick BTS for the. So the, you're saying there are fewer Europeans who select the MTV Europe Music Awards yes. than there are people who live in the United States. Right, and I'm saying that the members of <laughs> BTS, uh, right. you know... Right. And as we all know, and didn't just uh, didn't just Google, uh, BTS has seven members. Um, right. And they, of course, uh, oh, yeah, like I the mean, colors of the rainbow. Right, I'm saying, right? why should these seven people, right, be the only musicians deciding what we all hear? You know, that 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 is not that like the the radio. The, <laughs> so if I'm already pre-committed to only listening to BTS, right. how come only the seven people currently in BTS are the ones who get to dictate what I hear? Shouldn't there be more people in BTS? So that when I listen to a BTS album, I get a broader diversity of perspectives. Right. Absolutely. Why is membership in BTS a lifetime appointment? We really need to reconsider <laughs> This whole structure. Pack here, guys. BTS. Pack BTS. No, don't pack BTS. Don't pack BTS. Oh no. No, because look, BTS has been, you know, um, it began in in 2010 and uh, it debuted in 2013. Like it's it is a time honored, hallowed traditions a tradition. And what we need to do is we need to get BTS back to normal before all of this nonsense with the uh, MTV Europe video music awards right because surely surely we can just wish bts uh back to the way that they you know uh back to the way that they were you know and the and um we can just sort of by wishing it the the underlying uh demographic technological sort of cultural shifts that have that have happened will have no bearing on what happens and and you know really what what i'm saying is you know why can't someone induct bts BTS into the uh, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> get Johnny Depp right on it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, guys. By um, the way, I had someone ask online this week amid all the other conversations, "What is a button?" <laughs> right? Like, what? What is a? That is a button. That is like the joke is over. <laughs> that is the line that tells you like the scene is done, the bit is done. We push the button. That's the button. Lights, right? Next scene. Here we go. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's you know, if you if you do a, a podcast for twelve years, you don't need uh, someone to like run from one side of the stage to the other, right? Like, you <laughs> I can, do it nonetheless. The true the troop can by and large figure out uh, when the scene is over. Uh, guys, I have some sad breaking news. Um, the WWE released a statement <laughs> offering their condolences <laughs> to uh, the the family, friends, and fans of Alex Trebek on their passing on his passing um it was uh it is such a weird thing to see uh and so out of um i don't know so uh, out of the kind of the tone because like i felt very sad for a long time today when i heard that that uh when i heard that alex trebek had had uh you know finally succumbed to the cancer that he had been struggling with for uh for a couple years now and that like um almost uh almost two years i think he made it almost to the two-year anniversary 
of his diagnosis, which was a uh, remarkable achievement given the type of cancer that he had and how advanced it was. And uh, the the fact that he did it while uh, maintaining his status as a, like, uh, I think other than Mr. Rogers, I can't think of a more universally beloved figure in um uh, in on on television, you know, a, a television personality as uh, more universally beloved, and we we talked about him uh, a little bit uh, before in I think uh, episode uh, five hundred fifty. I want to say I know all of our uh, I know all of our episodes, and not just the ones that Mark pasted into the chat. I know all of our topics by heart. But uh, yeah, that that um, man, I've I I felt really. You know, I felt really sad today. That was that was a really honestly, it was that was a the you know naked came I into the world and naked am I going thither. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Good night, Alex Trebek, and flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. Uh, also, the the WWE was at pains to note that uh, he played a prominent role at WrestleMania Seven and served as backstage interviewer and was the guest ring announcer for the WWE Championship Clash between. Hulk Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter. So among really? his, yeah, I, I did, that's a fascinating fact. I, I, wow. Okay. The reason that's I fun. read it, the reason I read that ridiculous thing into the record of the podcast is it is something that you probably haven't heard about Alex Trebek because I didn't know it. I don't know. Pete, did you know about his role in professional wrestling? Maybe you did. Oh, Alex Trebek's? Yes. Oh gosh, I vaguely, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, I, I, so I, I don't know. I guess floor open for any uh, for any tribute that you'd like to make to Alex Trebek at this point. For I mean, we 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 tribute in episode five hundred and fifty. I do recommend you go back and listen to that if if you missed it. Um, I, I'm kind of just like you know stopped on my tracks here, imagining Alex Trebek not so much like you know like uh, announcing a, a match, but like commenting on it. You know, like as opposed to like the the hyperbolic uh, revved up commenter you usually hear in a wrestling match. Oh, and he's hit with the pile driver. More like, oh, that's a uh, that's that's not the that's not the right move there, Hulk. I'm very uh, sorry. Sergeant Slaughter has hit Hulk with the pile driver. Good for you. Good for you. Good for you. Mm. <laughs> uh, Pete, before we uh, before we turn the page, I mean, just that you know, um, he. It's very sad. Uh, yeah. It's a big loss. Um, and he can't be replaced, right? Um, but uh, but he had a great farewell tour, um, which is, I guess, something that is, is great to hope for. And I am glad. I, I felt like um, during the tournament, the sort of team tournament of champions he did, I think it was, was it last year? Where all of the greatest came together, and they were they had teams of three, and they were all competing with each other, and and uh, and it oh, just felt greatest, like a the real, greatest of all time. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it sort that, of felt like that was the kind of this is the sort of great the great moment. This is the sort of culmination, um, the, and and it's not gonna the way that it is now. It won't end tomorrow, but it, but it'll end soon, and this will be sort of the climax of it all. And so, know, oh, sorry, Pete, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I mean, I would just, I would, I mean, I would say it's sort of like. Uh, I mean, if you want to quote Hamilton, right, he taught us how to say goodbye a little bit. Right? Yeah, that's, he did that. Yeah. So. I mean, I guess to 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 close it off, I'll say I, I saw today an interview with him um, online replayed where, you know, a, a recent interview after his diagnosis. Uh, and he said, 
you know, usually you don't think of the, you know, you think of the, your life as sort of unbounded. And I've come to think of my life as, and he was speaking so calmly as well, like a, like a good Canadian. Um, I've come to think of my life as bounded and because other people have come to see it the same way and realize that I won't have forever. Uh, people have been reaching out to me. Um, to, you know, with these touching messages about, you know, some small difference that I've made and that I, Alex Trebek, have made in their life. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, and he sort of named a couple of them and talked about how much he, he appreciated them, including one person who, uh, uh, who had a family member who, because of Alex Trebek's diagnosis, got diagnosed with a much earlier stage in uh, pancreatic cancer, which seemed, uh, more treatable. And so that, you know, it was, he was, uh, you know, uh, had a lot of emotions about that. And I guess like, I wish he could have lived longer, but I'm glad he lived long enough to see that, to see the world sort of pour out its appreciation uh for him and uh you know lived a, a a long and a good life so uh we should all we should all be so lucky to to uh live as long and to have the impact that Alex Trebek had so you know um like i said and that was and that was the week right yeah and that that's the only thing that's the only thing that happened hey guys i don't know if if uh the listeners know this but mark and i used to play music together um, in, a in like, a in a church choir, you know, that's a, if, if you're a musician, um, that is a, a pretty steady gig playing, playing music in a, uh, church choir, uh, in a, in a Catholic church. Mark, are there any Catholic hymns that, uh, that you remember from that time that you might, uh, you know, might make, um, you know, might make a, a good way to fill out the rest of the, fill out the rest of the episode? Oh, there's so many words. Yeah, Start. You know, like we are we are called. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a that's know. a good one. Like, really sort of good, like shuffle kind of like, uh, you know, six, eight kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The one that, that uh, you are mine. Right. Mm. Sort of what, a, what a beautiful melody that one is. Right? Oh, yeah, that's you know? good. I mean, and uh, don't forget the, 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 the traditional one, you know, it, uh, Immaculate Mary, <laughs> they praise as we sing or, uh, you know, crown him with many crowns. Like, uh, you know, not not all of them are are specifically. Uh, specifically Catholic, a lot of them are shared, uh, which is good with other denominations. But the the traditional hymns are wonderful. Um, yeah, I mean that 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 five thirty folk mass feeling though you can't really re- replicate that. But there's there's one in particular that really just like takes you to that next level, right? And he will raise you up on eagles' wings. <laughs> All right. Bear you on the breath of dawn. Oh man, that's is that a Lana Del Rey song? <laughs> uh, I believe it is now. Make you to shine like the sun. So take um, us home, take us home, Matt. Oh, ah, uh, sorry, God, you you put it right in my falsetto. I, I, and I, hold you in the palm of his hand. Yeah, the uh, Joe Biden. Okay, we're first Joe, yeah, so the I thing about Joe Biden, Biden winning president. Yes, yes, yes. Of course, <laughs> one like uh, among uh, you know among the the many things worth commenting on is that Joe Biden uh, quoted the whole um, the whole chorus of a Catholic hymn. Or I should say a devotional hymn. It's now sung, uh, I guess, in in a lot of different denominations. But it is uh, from Oregon Catholic publishers um, that uh, 
you know that it was that it, it that publishes it. And by the way, by the way, we're probably going to get a call from them for having performed the, the chorus and the song. Um, I don't think they'll be able to detect the pitches based on this. <laughs> oh, oh, Pete, you don't know these wow. people. Say, they, yeah. they are relentless. They are everywhere, and they're better than Shazam. <laughs> Two or three are gathered in the name of Catholic hymns. Yeah, OC, OCP, OCP is there. Um, they, Wait, OCP? Uh, you down like, with OCP? You, I mean, you know me. I, you, you mean like the RoboCop company? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they may as well be because they are they are just relentless, relentless robots. Uh, you know, in terms of seeking out and and uh, remediating violations of their intellectual property. Um, I had a, a choir director once tell me, you know, they own several churches just because the people were printing their music without a license and they came in and, and, uh, and sued them. But yes. So when, in his speech, uh, Joe Biden name checked and then recited the lyrics of the chorus of this devotional hymn, this Christian devotional hymn called on Eagle's Wings. Now, I'm sure, well, Mark and I, I know we played it together on, on, I mean, probably uncountable, uh, occasions, but, but Pete, are you, are you familiar with, with the wings of, of these eagles? Of course. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. it's a great song. It's one, of, it's one of the best songs you sing in, you sing in church when you're growing up, uh, going to Catholic church. So yeah. what, wait, what makes it that? I'm, I'm curious because I, it's definitely one of the most memorable, but like, what were the good, what were the good and like the bad songs for you growing up uh, oh, as Catholic, Catholic hymns? Or you don't have to say bad. I don't no, want to no, throw no. anyone I, I, Well, this is a really interesting, this is an interesting topic. I wonder if we'll, I don't, I mean, the audience has come for us and, and they'll get <laughs> us, right? And and this is, this is what we connect, this, this and the Ghostbusters 2 song that they played are the things that <laughs> I connected with most. Now, um, so one of the, so for those of you who, the music here is interesting, and the sort of experience of the variation of the music from place to place is interesting, because one of the things that happens, and we moved churches a fair amount when I was little, like we changed churches a couple times because, you know, we thought this church wasn't being generous enough to the poor, or that church was like spending too much on a new building, um, and, and so we would go from place to place to try to find a place that kind of fit what we we thought was good to, to sort of believe in as a family, and uh and and a lot of the songs have the same words but have different tunes when you go to different churches. And it's so confounding, right? And it's not like it's an infinite set of different tunes. Like each church writes its own tune. It's that there's like a, a large set of tunes, and you might encounter the same tune in a bunch of different churches, but it might be played faster, it might be played slower, and it'll vary, right, from place to place. So sure. I will say so the, the worst – yeah. Uh, sorry, I, I want to – I just want to kind of dig into this a little bit because it is – it's a thing that like uh, there are different kind of metrical systems and it's by syllable. So you'll see in in like sufficiently sort of sophisticated hymnals, you'll see the metrical system and it's in syllables. So like eight, eight, six, six or something like that oh, or or common meter. Um, right, which are, are ballad stanzas, um, or, you know, whatever at the bottom in, in small print so that you can do exactly, exactly what you're saying and kind of move the, uh, uh change the, the words in the music so that like you can, you can sing tantum ergo in the original chant or you can sing tantum ergo sacramentum venerem urchernui, right? And it, it works both ways metrically. My favorite of these is that Amazing Grace and the Gilligan's Island, uh, theme song are in the same 
uh, same meter. So just sit right back and you'll hear a <laughs> tale. And the rest of the song is left as an exercise to the listener. Yeah. So the, the worst songs are when you think you know what the song is and then they end up having a totally different tune for it, which is really frustrating. Mm. Uh, I, I'm trying to think what other songs were really bad. The best, the best songs are ones where the melody and f- where the phrasing has some uh, some movement to it, I think, because the sort of the point, at least for me, I don't know about you guys, of singing in church is kind of uh, a sort of exultative states, right? Like 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 uh, having kind of uh, swings of feeling, right? Um, and and uh, without a swing in the music, it's hard to have a swing in the feeling. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go all full rock and roll and everything. That I, I would consider that to be very gauche uh, <laughs> in, in, with respect to how I generally how I generally like my churchin. But uh, but but one of the great things about Eagles Wings is that it has kind of like familiar sorts of intervals, and it has like a very sort of uh, it has a build up and a climax to it that are uh, intelligible, right? And uh, and that that kind of provoke feeling. Um, and there are a lot of songs where it's it's hard because you have sheet music in front of you a lot of the time when you're singing in, in a Catholic church. You have the you have the missal, right? And you have like the the, the hymnal book, maybe. Um, you might have a missalette. Uh, you have a book that might have a bunch of songs in it that has like a bunch of numbers on the songs and, and it'll have sheet music for the song. But a lot of the times it might just be like, oh, it's in a key that I don't have a chance to kind of tune into. It's a bunch of half notes. And I don't really know, like, I can't really off the top of my head go from like F sharp to B, right? With like no, nothing to sort of benchmark me into where I am. Um, those are boring and bad. But some of my best ones, uh, I like. I like Jerusalem, my destiny. That's a fun one. Even even if the subject matter is controversial, it is <laughs> metaphorical. Uh, the song. I, I think that um, I like. Uh, I really. Well, my family makes fun of me because I like this Spanish Easter hymn called Resucito a lot. And whenever would they play it at my at my church back in New Jersey, um, and I sing. You know, I'm singing in Spanish. I don't speak Spanish, but like the words are in the book. You know, how do I know the words? They put them in a script. Why do I stand? People tell me. Right. Um, and they have timpani and trumpets sometimes. And and I'll go really all out and I'll sing the song because it's in big, fat, you know, whole note, half note, quarter note, quarter note. And has this real drama to it. And I love it. Right. And that's one of my favorites also. Um, so I would say that I like the really dramatic songs that have kind of flourishes to them and kind of uh, and kind of energy and the other thing about eagle's wings is like it it isn't really terribly it's a song about about loss right um and it's a song about faith in the face of loss but it's not a song about like self-flagellation right Mm. and and i think that that's important i mean it's it's the kind of thing where oh if you are a person who happens to care about this kind of music and, you know, happens to perhaps think that Joe Biden might actually care about this stuff as a person, which I think by all science, he definitely does. Right? Oh, like 100 you know, percent. Like, yes. Yeah. Super sincere. Yeah. This I mean, I'm also a, a like Atlantic Bo Catholic. Fun- What's up? This is probably a Bo Biden's funeral mass. Oh, like, yeah. That's, that's, that's very true. Here. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, and so it's both it's comforting without being bs Right. And it's and it's like energizing and not and it's it's like. It's about relevance. It's relevant without being just brutal, sure. right? Or, or or incompassionate. I think that there's a callousness to some hymn, 
where where there's just a, a sort of lack of care for the people doing the singing and the fact that they are people, right? And there's a brutality to it sometimes, which can also be overcompensated for the other direction by adding a frivolity that's not particularly useful, right? Because um, you are generally singing about pretty serious stuff most of the time. It's You're not in there being like, you know, my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. They're like, you know, it's Jerusalem, my destiny. No, it's not how it goes, right? It's It's not... Um, it's it's not light, even when it's light. Um, <laughs> My savior brings all the sinners to the church. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, not even right. Like, like I don't know. It's it's the kind of thing where you would probably argue that hymnal is the is the uh, is the is the uh, preeminent inspiration for parody, right? <laughs> because it's like everybody knows it in a social group, right? So like you all go to a place and you're all forced to sing the same song that you probably don't particularly like. So of course you're all going to make fun of it. And of course, like that's where the sort of natural tendency for, for, um, for, for, for oh, parody and imitation. Oh my God, uh, Pete! I, I, I was in a church choir for ten yeah, years. Yeah. Like I, I, like I could tell you parody hymns that would curl your hair, um, but the, uh, but not, not on a PG thirteen podcast. Yeah. I, I can't. Except I wrote, uh, I wrote one, um, I wrote one once. Uh, a mighty fortress is our Pope, who is our God by proxy. He swings the censer <laughs> by its rope, ensuring orthodoxy. Uh, but who you ask is he? This was this was a while back. But who? Uh, but who you ask is he? Secundus Johann P. He fills his chalice full and promulgates his pull, uh, his his bull in air, in heaven. There is no equal. Um, Though now he is uh, now now uh, uh, he is in heaven and and um, you know may his soul rest in peace. Uh, the uh, yeah the, the the having an official body ha- having a bunch of children and an official kind of canon of text is just like you know is just an invitation for the true poets <laughs> to <Right>. you know <laughs> to make uh, you know if you are young if you are young enough scatological and if you are slightly old older uh sexual parodies of all of the of you know all of the things and that that is the that is the true poetry of the i think the other thing about the other thing about eagle's wings is that it has um it has good rhymes like it has it has it has like not just like i mean they're not like virtuosic right he's not like uh, it's not like uh kendrick lamar or anything but it's like but the rhymes are good from a poetical sense Wait, right what what rhymes on eagle's wings Right. Um, you who dwell you in the shelter what? of you're Lord, right. Nothing rhymes. Nothing well, rhymes. And on, on Eagle's wings, I was I was going to point it out because there is a um, there's a problem. Like it, it is challenging to set scripture text to music and to make songs out of it. And a lot of so a lot of um, Catholic hymns and like if you grew up Catholic in the in the 80s or 90s. Like, uh, you have to deal with the kind of the musical, the post Vatican II musical legacy, right? Um, of the kind of the folk song, you know, and the publishers who wrote all of these kind of vernacular folk songs, uh, sort of devotional, um, devotional songs. And that, that was kind of the, that really was the kind of like the primary liturgical mode that I grew up with anyway, like most of the playlist was drawn from this, you know, this kind of seventies soft rock catalog. And as, and that, that 
like group of songs says church to me as much as, you know, certain kinds of organ music might say, say church to my parents' generation or, or, you know, to a different generation than, than mine. But it's a, it's a tough thing. And like, as a person who's tried to do this, it is really tough to put, um, a scripture text to music because there are no rhymes and, yeah. and also it's free form. It's, you know what I mean? It's not necessarily metrical. So the compromise that you get in a lot of them, um, the, uh, is that the chorus will rhyme and the verses won't will be a little more free versey. And then the hard thing is you have to, um, find a melody that will fit these sort of non-metrical, uh, you know, if it, like, if you, um, if, if you're setting a Psalm to music, for example, the, the, uh, prosody of the Psalms is completely different than the kind of accentual syllabic, uh, prosody that goes into song lyrics where there's like a rhythm and rhymes at certain predictable intervals of the, um, you know, of the, the, uh, lines and not just because they're in translation, right. They were in, in the original, they would be the same, uh, as well that they, that they just have a different kind of system, a, a different kind of like, um, structural system that, that they're set up using. And so making, making songs out of them is, is tough. And I think one of the real accomplishments of on Eagle Swings is that it doesn't let you notice <laughs> that none of it rhymes. It finds yeah. ways to be satisfying, right? And kind of deliver sort of moments of closure, deliver sort of uh, tension and release without, um, without, uh, uh, rhyming words, which is one of the huge mechanisms that, you know, English song has for, for doing that. Yeah. I, I, it's funny that I didn't even remember that it didn't rhyme because what I think of when I think of that song is the end stops of each, because it's, it's like in the refrain in particular, it's sort of each line is two lines. And there's a there's a Kaisura, I guess, is what you would say. Although you could say it also might be you could also say it's two quatrains. Right. Um, depending on how you measure out the meter. But I think it's I think it's with a Kaisura. Right. It's like, yeah. oh, for sure. It's four, it's four lines. Yeah. Eagles wings bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun and hold you in the. And so here, one thing I like to do sometimes with poetry or song is like, look at the last words of each line and, or the first ones and see if those words tell the story of the whole thing, right? So like, if you look at the, the, each of, each of the stanzas of On Eagle's Wings, these are the verses rather, is three lines, which you could also see as, as six lines, but are probably three lines. And then the refrain is four lines that you could see as eight lines, but it's probably four lines. And so the, the triples, the verses are Lord, life and trust is the first one. Mm. And the second one is you, fear and shield is mm. the second one, right? The third one is night, day and come. And then the fourth one is a longer, and it's, uh, I guess it's take you to the bridge, right? Command, ways, up, and stone, right? And so, like, oh, I mean, those those each tell a very, I think, a very clear story, yeah. right? The, the, and the, the refrain is wings, dawn, sun, hand, which is a beautiful, ambiguous climax, anticlimax, right? Because mm. it's, like, higher, higher still, higher still, and then hand is is either higher still or much more close and intimate, right? Um, and so there's that that ambiguity as it sort of ascends, 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 and then either come and it comes close, and it's either the ascending is coming close or it's kind of like twisting it around, right? Um, which is which is I think interesting. So I think in that respect, it's it's hitting those last words 
is fun. It, it sort of you get to really pull out those. You get to sort of let those words breathe and they mean something. Um, it's always a little bit weird when it's like you know. Uh, in Canaan or something right? like <laughs> like when the words you really have to stretch out in a hymn is like essentially meaningless to you, right? Like uh, it doesn't make a point, right? Uh, or particularly if it's very awkwardly hyphenated, uh, right? Like yeah. uh, what is it? What is a good example? Um, uh, um, There's a Catholic hymn called, uh, or at least that I'm familiar with from growing up Catholic, that called "Be Not Afraid," where oh the, yeah, that where was the good. It is good, but yeah. the verse uh, the verses are a hot mess, right? Oh yeah, and, <laughs> a, right. a because they have this double dotted. Um, so, like the first the first line is, "You shall cross the barren desert, and you shall not die of thirst." Or, but you shall not die of thirst. Everyone sings, "You shall cross the barren desert." But you shall not die of thirst. That's not how it's written. It's written, you shall cross the barren desert. Oh, that's miserable. <laughs> but you shall not die of thirst. It's written in 16th notes. Um, you shall wander far in safety. And it's, uh, yeah, it's almost impossible to do. Is it a Bob Dylan do. song? Like, what's going on? <laughs> you, shall want, you shall cross the barren desert. But, the, <laughs> you know. You cross uh, the barren desert. <laughs> who is, um, is that not Bob Dylan? Who who be who is that an impression of? No, that is Bob Dylan. Okay, okay. <laughs> it was really good. Hey, <laughs> um, but the you know, and then all the um, all these all these things. It's it's again, it's actually kind of a, a hymn of comfort in in like times of adversity. Um, the uh, the. Yeah, so the the second verse, if you pass through raging waters in the sea, you shall not drown. Uh, if you pass through raging waters in the sea, you shall not drown. Oh, that's so bad. I and remember. No one, oh, and so no one bad. does it, right? No one does it, oh, right? Everyone, mess, yeah. And everyone does it. Everyone does it the normal way, the way it should have been all along. Uh, but like, it's, it's hard because the verse is different every time because they're trying to, to fit the words into a similar-ish melodic shape or at least like put some of the notes on the same beats but the the uh metro met, metrically it's it's completely different i want to let mark uh, get in here for a second mark are you do you, you you played on eagle's wings a lot i don't know do you have a musical take on it um, oh yeah, yeah yeah i wanted to address this also because like you know the way i i, I delivered the chorus in this ridiculous grandiose intentionally exaggerated um singing voice uh, earlier on, I guess I don't know to match the occasion of a a presidential candidate winning the race, which is like such a big freaking deal. Um, but this song is actually uh, a gentle ballad, right? You know, it's like you know, imagine the guitar kind of plunking along, ding 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 ding, ding you know, ding 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 ding, ding. Uh, not like some just like you know, just like ripping it out like you know on the organ or the piano or the you know like or any other instrument for that matter. Um, so there's that thing. I want to make sure that everybody's aware of that, and we'll include a link to a a recording of this uh, in, in the show notes for uh, for you to you know get that uh, five thirty folk mass feeling on a on a Monday morning or whenever you're listening to this. Um, but the other thing I wanted to address in this, and let's get or your, you could your, or you could come at ten o'clock and hear Mark and me play by ourselves in the you know in the con- to contemplative candlelit silence of a you know near empty chapel. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, closer to God, get close to God. Um, uh, but the other thing is like the uh, no, overall that's a, that's harmonically. A different song. Oh yeah. <laughs> 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 Harmon- what I wanted to say is that harmonically, 
Um, and you know, the, the strength of the song we've been talking about is its simplicity, and particularly for that that um, for the chorus. Um, it, it's simple. It's pretty straightforward. But the setup in the verse coming in does some really interesting stuff. I wish I had my guitar with me, but um, imagine if you will. And I, there's no way to describe this um, without doing a little bit of music theory, right? Instead of like starting on the um, like on the what's the tonic, the C, the um, like the, the one chord. Sure, Matt, back help me out here. Yeah, the it tonic. starts. It starts on the yeah the tonic chord. Yep. It does. It does not start on the tonic. It throws you in like kind of like midway on the four on, on, on an F chord with the you who dwell in the shelter of the Lord. Um, and then it, it, so it's, you're already kind of like, you know, uh, thrown a little bit off balance uh, with that unconventional um, way to start the verse. And then it throws in some nice mixture chords um, just to, to make things a little bit funky, um, you know, as opposed to just delivering the, the one, four, five, you know, that, that, that sort of business. Um, and so, you know, th- there's, uh, the song is a gentle ballad that is simple and easy to sing, and yet there's some interesting complexity going on there. Uh, Matt, do you want to kind of expand on that? I and it's like, and maybe perhaps even like, um, st- like establish a stretched and painful metaphor to apply it to Joe Biden. I sure, <laughs> I, I, this country. yeah, I sure, I absolutely do. You know, we were talking about release, right? About relief, you know, tension and release, like, uh, and you know, I think that that uh, a lot of people felt some relief or release yesterday, whether or not you felt good about it, I guess depends on who you voted for, but like the, you know, COVID has kind of extended this, uh, you know, process of getting election results, you know, that we, that reflect everybody's votes for several days because they all came in, you know, not through the, the quote unquote normal method of, of standing in line and, and, um, you know, pulling levers at a, at a polling place. And so, uh, there's been this kind of like prolonged tension and, you know, one way or another, an outcome is like a relief from that. And that it struck me that, you know, when, when, uh, Joe Biden started talking about on Eagle's wings, like that song is about, melodically it's about tension and relief. So not only like exactly what Mark said, it starts on the four chord, um, and then, uh, you know, yeah, but like, but, but the melody over the four chord is scale degree seven, right? So it's, um, you know, in happy birthday, uh, that goes happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Peter. And that, that note on the first syllable of your name, happy birthday, dear Mark, right? Is kind of dissonant, a slightly jarring until finally with relief and release, it resolves down to, uh, Mark, um, to a, a note that's actually one of the notes in the triad, the, the, in the four chord, um, the what subdominant <laughs> triad, uh, like, um, it's called a Lydian chord, I think, because like the, you're, you're using the, it, it uses notes from the Lydian mode to, you know, make that, that harmony, uh, on Eagle's wing starts with that. You who happy birthday, dear Mark, you who dwell in the shelter of the Lord. It, uh, and it's the same, it's the same harmonic move. So it starts with this pretty jarring dissonance between the melody note and the root of the chord, a, a tritone, a flatted fifth. And, um, that, that's pretty, you know, that's pretty out there. Uh, and then the whole, 
the whole chorus is about suspension and release as well. That like, he will raise you up. Da, da, da. It's like tension release on tension release. And the harmony moves up uh, a, a step. Tension release, the tension release. Da, 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 Right. And that like, um, that, uh, that sort of dynamic is, is like built into the melody of the thing. And so when we were sort of talking about like relief and like a long week of like waiting for results and kind of just being able, just being able to do nothing while votes were being counted and stuff. I, I, and then on Eagle's Wings came up, I thought of that like indefinitely prolonging. <laughs> what if it went and he will ring <laughs> and you never got to the, to the next note. The note that that sort of like ah okay finally we're back in we're back in like uh, consonant harmony and we can you know we can relax a little bit we can like feel like our harmonic our harmonic chakras are aligned uh are aligned again you know um anyway that's that that was my hot take on uh on eagle's wings that in in the context of this particular week uh that like um you know, it was, a, it is kind of a song. It's a song about, about comfort in times of adversity. It's about, it's a song about kind of, you know, trust and faith, you know, and, uh, and sort of trust in a, uh, kind of, uh, maybe a meaning for your suffering for the adversity that you're going through, but, but also for like, you know, a kind of ultimate cessation of suffering. And, uh, it's also a song in that, that is about, the resolution of a suspension of a suspended note, the resolution of a dissonance to a consonant and how that, uh, you know, how that can even momentarily just feel very good, you know, to, to, um, uh, to like feel that sense of, of tension and release and feel the kind of the dissonance letting go, uh, and to live, to live even momentarily in a world that, that seems to make sense. So it was a good song that they played <laughs> and he talked about. You know, taking attention to release, there was this moment when he starts talking about his favorite hymn. Um, I was like, oh, my gosh, is he going to sing? Is he going to like do, do an Obama like Amazing Grace kind of thing? It's just like just bust it out, you know, and, and like, you know, like, like the, our first karaoke president. Is, is this happening? He, he didn't quite do that. But there's plenty of other musical like pre-recorded musical that music that was actually pumped in. Uh, to the affairs of that evening. I think one of them resonated particularly with you, Pete. You want to talk, take it from there and talk about that one? Oh, Higher by Jackie Wilson? <laughs> yes. yes. So, please. of course, as I've alluded to, right, um, I, I, it, it's, it's kind of baffling that this is probably what somebody meant. Somebody must have done this on purpose, right? So, as you may recall, uh, there's a movie called Ghostbusters 2. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, is, it is the second Ghostbusters movie, thus the two. And... Uh, and it, it, we have had uh, one of the, I guess, creative forces, the graphic designer behind the Ghostbusters logo, the late great, uh, was it Michael C. Gross? Was that his name? Yeah. It, we, uh, also, we also have, uh, by the way, an overview of Ghostbusters 2 featuring the uh, you know Emmy Award winning film and television composer Bear McCreary, where we, talk, right. where we talk about the soundtrack of, of Ghostbusters 2. But yes, Pete, higher and higher. Your, Pete, your love keeps lifting me higher and higher. I appreciate that. So like, as you may know, the plot of Ghostbusters 2 is that there is a substance running through the sewers of New York City 
that is an amplifier, a, a sort of recipient and reflector and amplifier of the preponderant emotions and attitudes that are being uh, exuded by the people of the city. And, and it's related to ghosts and the paranormal. And, uh, and, and what has happened at this point in New York City is that people have been so nasty to each other that this slime, as it were, has been absorbing and accruing all of this negativity and is exuding it out to people and making them extra cruel to each other, making them turn on each other, and then to an even larger extent, making their garments come alive and try to kill them. Right. So there's like all sorts of crazy things happening. Ghosts are coming back. The world is ending. And there is a particular Carpathian potentate by the name of Vigo. Uh, to him, you are the buzzing of flies uh, who is going to use this as an opportunity to break back into the world. There's a baby sacrifice, et cetera, et cetera. And spoilers for Ghostbusters 2. The way that the Ghostbusters figure out to defeat this is they have to counteract and neutralize the slime. And they do this by isolating the slime substance and exposing it only to positive impulses and finding that if they do that, the slime reflects outward positive energy and also has the ability to animate inanimate objects, um, usually towards some sort of jubilant end, right? Like a little dancing toaster. Um, and so they do this to the Statue of Liberty, right? And the Statue of Liberty covered in positively charged slime walks up Fifth Avenue in New York City on New Year's Eve, and all of the jubilation and cheering and joy of it uh, is, is sort of reverberated with the slime and kind of weakens the bad slime or the slime's badness sufficient for the Statue of Liberty to crack the shell of the Metropolitan Museum of Art and force a confrontation with Vigo the Carpathian. Um, and so when the song that they play to get everybody in New York happy enough so that the Statue of Liberty can gather the, the strength to smash the dome of evil slime on top of the Metropolitan Museum of Art is Higher by Jackie Wilson, right? The song, which is, I don't think coincidentally, the song played immediately after Joe Biden gave his speech on, on, uh, on, on uh, gosh, was it Saturday? I think it was, on, I don't even know. I, I've, I've like lost track of the calendar uh, day, week, year, all of it over the course of 2020. But I think it was yesterday, right? Um, yeah, it was. And that combined with like the running up the ramp at the beginning led me to think there was a bit of a trollish edge to what was being said. But, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. I can't assume the way, the way I heard it in in on musical theater Twitter. Uh, the uh, the way I heard it is that uh, he he ran up the ramp like a like a, a featured player who only had eight counts for his curtain call. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, uh, Get it out there. I want to see if my mom's going to yell for me. <laughs> oh, she did. Excellent. <laughs> yep. It was great. Um, it was great. It was great. So, yeah. So so I thought it was interesting. So, I, I mean, I guess what I'm what I'm saying from a kind of cultural perspective is that it was interesting how multifaceted the cross reference was in the culture that was being employed and kind of in, in and it was if they were trying to, to sort of put together something where it didn't necessarily feel multicultural like it didn't have a sort of self-conscious multiculturalism to it nobody in a daishiki came on stage right and like and like you know danced with somebody in a yarmulke like they didn't like force the notion that the thing was multicultural but they put a whole bunch of references in it that you might pick up right and it, it might matter something to you you know, like the Beyonce song, right? It's like for a lot of people, that means a lot to them. But for me, the Ghostbusters 2 song is what I really connected with. Yeah, and sure. for all of us, you know, the the song, the Catholic hymn from our youth, then from your guys' adulthood, and I guess my adulthood to an extent, um, these are sort of little snippets, right? 
real little snippets that kind of stand out. And it was interesting to interact with it in that way. I thought, yeah, it's, it's um, funny. There's, uh, we, you know, there's a certain kind of cultural commentary focuses a lot on, on, uh, on racist dog whistles or sort of, you know, various forms of oppression kind of dog whistles. It's great to have inclusive dog whistles, right? <laughs> it's, it's great to have like just little moments where you sort of acknowledge that like, Hey, you know, this, uh, this community is, is big. And there are a lot of people with a lot of sort of frames of reference and a lot of like different songs that they like and a lot of, uh, you know, different kind of cultural touchstones and like, you know, the, you can't really, you can't list them all. Uh, it would become a, a catalog. It would become that one Maya Angelou poem. Right. But that, but we're going to, uh, but we're going to at least acknowledge, like we're going to find some way to acknowledge that, uh, that all these things are there. And that's, I don't know. It's a, it is a nice feeling to feel in, um, in these times, in these unprecedented trademark times. Can I also give a shout out to the selection of um, Dad Rock Anthem, I Won't Back Down by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, right? Um, You know, solid consensus choice, um, centrist, uh, you know, played by an older white person. Well, in this case, a deceased white person. Um, But, uh, you know, the the theme, of course, you know, is is pretty on the nose as well. You don't have to go digging around for that. Or maybe is there something else going on? Did anybody else remark on, uh, on that particular song choice? You ever, you ever notice how the melody of the chorus, the, the title line goes down, <laughs> backs down and I won't back down. It's I never like, know what pitch Tom that is, a, is that, singing. That, that <laughs> is an interesting counterpart, by the way, um, to the, uh, ascending melody and thematic, uh, material of the other two songs that we talked about, right? right. Um, Eagle's wings, you know, the very bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun and hold you like up, 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 and then of course, you know, your love can take me higher, your love can take me higher and higher, literally going higher, higher, um, but but not this one. Um, surely that was 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 planned and thought out as again, it would provide balance, to provide balance to the force. Yeah, it wasn't planned, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> it's funny if you go back and read the diamond joe onion articles from back in the day of the fictionalized joe biden who is a trans am driving you know a shirt wearing getting thrown out of dave and Buster's in kind of uh you know roughneck um they have a lot of little references that are tucked into them and one of them uh was from the article where he's watching his trans am at the white house i thought about like oh i'll repost this article because it's time to bring the trans am back to the white house and um and and it and it and it uh cites uh you could yeah you know, one of the, one of the great parenthetical song titles right which is i believe called par- in parentheses you can still and then out of parentheses rock in america by night ranger right which is which has a great which you would recognize right and has a great chorus and much much like um much like uh oh gosh i already forgot it that other the other hymn that you were talking about, Matt, is the ba- example of the bad uh, versification. Be not afraid. Notes. Yeah, much like be not afraid. Great hook, right? <laughs> but the verses, you start, you listen to the verse and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> right? like, uh, <laughs> like the first verse is like, uh, and she's just 16. And it's like, all right, well, I can't post this article. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> right, because like there's there's a joke that like for some reason, I don't know. It's like, I, I guess, I mean, that's tough, right? It's like. It's interesting because it has to you have to recontextualize it, right? It's like a joke about a joke about a joke. 
And when you go back to it, like, I don't know how old Night Ranger was when they wrote that song. Probably too old to write that song. Right. But like, I don't know. Um, and, but at the same time, it's like uh, it, the lyrics aren't even mentioned in the article. Um, so 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 I guess what I'm suggesting is that um, it is interesting to be able to take a reference that feels on a superficial level to be relevant and to drill down into it and not to find anything that's like very foreign to the purpose that you've applied it to, uh, if that makes sense. Right. As in, like, you would expect for most works of art that have a complexity to them, that if you were to recontextualize them into a different place, there would be some sort of rough edge that sticks out that the people in the car commercial would just cut around. Right. You know, like, oh, we're not going to say that verse. Right. Um, <laughs> Like in Moulin Rouge, when they sing Pride in the Name of Love, they don't sing about the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, right? Like, because it's like it doesn't fit when you recontextualize it into that setting. Um, and, and so it was interesting with something like You Don't You Won't Back Down or Eagle's Wings, that when you look at kind of the whole thing, it all kind of fits. Um, which I guess is that a good reference? I guess it is a less funny reference because it's gonna match expectation more closely. Certainly for something like this, you would want the reference. Can, what would be a good term for that? Um, consonant, a consonant reference. Sure. Wherein, wherein the sort of like uh, the attendant material that comes along with the reference, if the people are to kind of delve into it and follow the source, continues to support the point that you were using it to make, which is not necessarily something that reference always does, um, nor can it necessarily always be attributed to malice or hypocrisy that it fails to do so because, you know, we, no, we you can't uh, because dig it, dig deep enough in American popular music and invariably you get to some pretty bad S. Right. And it's like, you know, you want to make a joke about the name of a song. You're not really, you're not really signing your name and your fortune to every word that's in the song that you're making a joke about. Right. Um, but I mean, you have to be mindful about these things, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's this just, is how we get, you know, this is how we get born in the USA. He used very inappropriately <laughs> yes. at a lot of, you know, right. There, like, there's a much more obvious example, right? There, right? Uh, which not is, a consonant reference. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Born in the USA, not a nativist anthem. <laughs> Yes. You know? Oh, 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 that reminds me of, of, of a great example of this, like just from a few days ago and one of the uh, regrettable and unfortunate uh, stop the steel, quote unquote, steel protests that were going on. You know, they're basically the pro-Trump uh, rallies uh, around vote counting sites. Um, someone in all decked out in Trump regalia was just jamming out to I shit I, I shit you not. I will say that on this occasion um a rage against the machine song i believe it was i believe it was killing in the name of and the best part about it though the, the that was a shot that the chaser is that tom morello rage of the machine <laughs> tweets it out basically saying i don't think that was the point <laughs> you keep saying you keep singing this song i do not think it means what you think it means uh maybe on that uh maybe on that uh, absurdist image uh we will draw our our discussion to the close sorry nothing happened this week guys it uh maybe maybe the the coming week will be more eventful and we'll have more to talk about in the in the next episode until then thank you for listening pete and mark thank you for podcasting with me as always uh we'll be back next week until then visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.
Oh, wait, are you telling me that we ran out of time before we could talk about Let Him Go Fight for Families starring Kevin Costner and Diane Lane? Why did I watch that movie? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I thought it was the most important thing that was happening all weekend. Uh, Next week, uh, Pete is Heaven's Gate. The cult? (laughs) 